Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. There's something One trailer Bravo, Rakesford in runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm good. Today we have, I believe, our fourth guest, and all four guests have been very different, but all help pilots who spend time behind the prop. Today we have Ray Vialba with us. He owns e Aviation and has done 99% of the maintenance work for my flight school and many of the people on this airport. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We get asked a lot of systems questions, Wally and I do, and there's obviously a lot of maintenance that goes on. Ray and I spend a lot of time on the phone. I wish I actually talked to you a little less, Ray, but uh, we get to spend a lot of time on the phone with each other, and we wanted to have Ray come talk to all the listeners a little bit about what goes on in the world of maintenance, maybe share some tips and tricks and some things that maybe people should be doing that they're not doing on a regular basis. Uh, so, Ray, to get started, tell us a little bit about you, your background, kind of all of your acronyms that are at the end of your name so that we understand what you're able to do on aircraft and stuff like that. Um, well, my my most of my experience comes from general aviation. Um, I got about one year of airline experience, but mainly general aviation. It's about 22 years now. Um, I, I have an AMP and an IA, um, which pretty much mainly, mainly means I could sign off annuals in 337s. What is the IA? I think it comes up a lot where somebody will say, hey, you have to have an IA for that. And I don't think, I think people just know of an acronym, but what, what does that really mean? It stands for inspection authorization. Okay. Um, and it's it's really not a certificate or a license. It's just an authorization to sign off annuals and 337s, which are major repairs uh, and alterations. Um, other than that, your AMP is what you really use. Why do so, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have this perception that very few AMPs have an AI or an I, what was it? AI? Uh, I, very few have an IA. Is that true? And is it hard to get or it's, uh, it's, it can be a little difficult to get, uh, for starters, you gotta have, uh, three years in the field. Um, and you got, it's only a written test, but the test is very difficult. Uh, for me, it is right. I'm not a good test taker, but, uh, it's difficult only cause they just made it that way. Um, and unless you're out there doing annuals and actually doing three, three sevens, you really don't need it. Your A&P, you can gotcha. do mostly everything you can do. Um, if you're working out in the industry in the, in the airline, you'll never use the IA. Um, in general aviation, you'll use it every day if you're doing annuals and major alterations and repairs. Um, which is why a lot of AMPs don't get it. Um, I got it. I have to have it because we run a shop, so we got to sign off annuals, and we do STCs all the time that require three three sevens. So that's why I have it. Um, and then again, you know, you got to report to the FAA um, when you have it. Sure. Um, more than you would than with an AMP. Sure. We also we also share a lot of friends and. and- common pilots both on the field and, and around the city uh you have a huge i would say fan following lots of people speak very highly of your work and and E's work tell people that might not be right here around us what kind of work you do how you help pilots get their planes back in the air 
just a little bit in case somebody wants to fly down and have you do their annual for them sometime? <laughs> well, mainly, um, you know, we stay busy with strictly piston aircraft. Um, we, we do so many of them, you know, we could turn them pretty quick. Um, we know all their quirks. Um, we know pretty much where to get the parts um, in a timely manner, right? Um, and that's, that all helps keep the airplane flying, which is what most owners want. Um, and, and pretty much we have the crew at the shop to do it. Um, we have a person that does strictly sheet metal work. We have one guy that does, you know, that's real good at electrical, so he keeps up with the electrical portions. And all that combined helps, you know, the shop move, move a lot quicker um, and makes everything go a lot smoother. Um, in the long run, saving time, downtime and money for the customer. Yeah, most shops maybe maybe have one great mechanic, but then they're outsourcing that or they're partnering with other people, and that creates times and delays and, and other things that, that just make it more difficult. Uh, obviously, been a great partner to our fly school and our fleet, um, and I think you've just brought on an engine component in the last 6 to 12 months or so too, right, where you, you actually can do the overhauls on engines now. Is that correct? Yes, uh, we started uh, overhauling uh, Lycoming engines we started with the four-cylinder engines um and we've been you know we went to the lycoming factory training uh, about a year ago uh two of us went out there and got that training and we started overhauling we started off with the four cylinders um trying to get that perfected before we move on to the next one um but mainly to help you guys right the flight yeah. schools <laughs> i can't um, wait for my next engine to cost a lot less Wally. yeah that's what, that's what yeah. he says <laughs> all right so with that, let's talk a little bit about maintenance. Um, and as a as a pilot and, and one who kind of grew up in this fly school in this field, I think I thought I knew a lot when I got my private. Now I look back, I know I didn't know much at all. Um, we we talked a little bit before we started recording about ads and and what what's the responsibility of a private pilot to know about those ads. Obviously, we graduate a lot of people. Wally gives check rides. What, what would a what would you recommend to a person that gets that certificate that they should be doing and thinking about as it as it relates to ad's and flying other aircraft because assumingly i've trained at a school i've flown their planes and now i'm going to kind of get away from that nest of fleet what should i be thinking about and doing with those those aircraft as it relates to ad's first and foremost well you um you want to know what ad's apply to the aircraft you're flying they all have different ad's that apply to it to them um you know I, Obviously, if if you're in a flight school, you're going to see mostly Cessnas and Pipers. Um, the Cessnas have a real common one, which I'm sure a lot of these students and um, examiners see in the logbooks, and is a seat track AD. Well, that only applies to the Pipers. I'm sorry, to the Cessnas, not the Pipers. Um, so if you're flying a Piper, you know you won't have to worry about that. But there can be another AD you got to worry about. We spoke earlier about the new AD that came out with the with the wing spars. That's one you need to know if you're going to fly a Piper, but not a Cessna. So you see the difference. So if you're going into a Beechcraft or another type of aircraft, you know, pick up the logbooks and, you know, make sure you know what ADs are recurring. Um, and they're normally time-based in some form or another. Is that an accurate statement? Some are time-based, calendar time, tack time. Um, this new one that we were talking about is factored hours um, after the initial 5,000 hours. Um so they, they all have different um, time frames, 
And the best place to look that up is in your logbooks. Um, some logbooks have an AD list, some don't. Um, but mainly in the logbook entry, try to, fi- try to find the last annual and see which ADs are going to be coming up due or which ones are due and what, what, do, they, what do they affect on the airplane, right? Um, whether it's a seat track like we talked about or a wing bolt or an ignition switch. Um, just pick up, pick up your logbooks and, 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 and learn what's going on with that aircraft, AD-wise. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I, of course, I did it for the check ride. I, I, I was a steward of where the hundred-hour tab was, and I knew where that was, and I read that sticker off very proudly to my examiner. But I don't think I see pilots. You know, rent, I see renters coming in here on a fairly regular basis, and they'll rent a new aircraft, and I'll, I'll never see them stop by the, the 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 room where we keep all those logbooks, right? And I think that they should feel safe that we've done our due diligence and we're doing some of that. Um, would you get in a plane that you never looked at the logbooks and, and take off and fly it that someone said, it's good, don't worry about it? No, I would look at the logbooks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I guess that's the key, right, is know those things. And from an AD perspective, some ADs might not be, like you said, uh, big in, in nature. Like the C-Track thing is something that Cessna's implemented that we need to make sure that the C-Track works and locks and that the seat can't come off that track, right? Um, obviously, that AD is created because it happened at some point and they're they're doing something for safety and then we had an, an odd engine so that that engine had an ad necessarily wasn't the aircraft but with that engine got replaced then that ad would leave with that engine right so it's very possible that a plane could have an ad one year and then not an ad after that that engine or that that item was replaced yes that is correct yes. so you need to know your stuff as it relates to ad's anything to to ask about ad's and those sorts of things wally no, I do. I do have one question for you, Ray. When, when you do an annual on the airplane, is there any kind of entry that you make uh, into any kind of an FAA database that says aircraft one, two, three, four, five has had an annual on, uh, you know, February first, two thousand twenty-one? Not into an FAA database. No, it it all goes entered into the logbooks. Okay, um, but. Uh, again, we go back to the question of the IA responsibilities. You got to keep a copy of that entry you made for two years. Okay. Same goes for a 337. Um, you keep that 337 for two years. Um, so when the FAA comes over and asks you for it, you have you have a copy of it. I I, I just wonder with the advent of ADSB, if if that's something that is coming down the road with Big Brother looking at us. They know that this aircraft has had an annual maybe today, so it's good to the end of this calendar month, a year from now. And if on February 1st of 2022, ADSB sees this airplane flying around and it doesn't have a current annual, I, 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 wonder, I wonder if that's coming because the technology is there. Well, Wally yeah. just introduced more expense to all airplane owners worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem to make sense, and it it would be – Something that I can see a government agency wanting to tag to another another uh, little bot on that ADSB for sure. Yeah. So Ray, we talked a little bit about ADs. I I think of all these private pilots that graduate like I did and think they know a lot about aviation uh, when they really don't know much, uh, but they have this license to practice. What do you think those pilots should be doing as it relates to maintenance? What what should they be I guess seeking to understand more, seeking to learn more about 
Uh, they can't just jump in these planes and, and follow a magenta line on four flight and be safe. Like, what would you be recommending to someone that does that, gets their private pilot certificate? Well, like we talked about earlier, um, you know, learn learn the, the aircraft a little bit more, a little bit more in depth, uh, you know, learn more about its systems, you know, figure out what's really happening under that engine cow. So they learn a little bit about the engine and what's going on in the engine. Um how how deep do they need to get? I mean, there's got to be some sort of a balancing act where they don't need to be a mechanic, but at the same time, they need to be a, a steward of the equipment, right? What would you, I guess, explain to me a little bit of a depth that you would think you would be happy to see a private pilot understanding? Well, it's, I, I would be happy if, you know, they'll be able to, like, for instance, a Piper Warrior uh, open the side cowl and be able to point to almost every component in the engine, uh, right? That's a good starting point there which we talked about, we see a lot. Some of these uh, new pilots can identify several components in the engine. Um, and I think that's important, especially if you're going to be flying behind that machine. Oddly um, enough, they can diagnose a bad mag, though, really well, but they can't point it out. <laughs> <laughs> they just know to call it a bad mag. Yeah, they just know it's a bad mag. So, like, if someone's at home listening to this show and they think, okay, I'm going to take Ray's advice, I'm going to heed his warning, I'm going to go learn some stuff... What do you think a pick list of items they should be able to open that cowing and point at to be able to un- and then seek to understand those items? Uh, you know, I've seen I've I've seen a lot of different uh, scenarios, right? I've I've opened the cowling one time and and you know, a guy doesn't know where the mag is, um, can't tell what they always ask. What's this little gray hose that's running to to the cylinder? Well, that's your ignition lead. It's not a hose. That's your ignition lead, right? Uh, that kind of stuff. Fuel pump, um, maybe? No fuel, fuel pump. pump. Um, the carburetor is important because, you know, your throttle gets attached to it and your mixture. Um, you know, figure out what's what's really happening in your airbox, you know, the carb heat situation. Um, you know, know what's really, what's really happening when you pull that lever. Yeah, um, I hate to admit it, but it was probably a year ago now that you showed me the flap on the airbox that was really the flap that is we talk about this flap when the other one gets frozen over that this one just works but until you really see it and touch it and know it you really don't know it right um, correct we we, we kind of memorize it or know this stuff for check ride stuff but we we should know what those things are um so magneto a fuel pump some of the the leads running to the cylinders um we talked about the carburetor maybe the heater shroud we should look, shroud, look how, at that and yeah, understand if there's big holes in it. That's that's a good one because you get a uh, you get guys that got carbon monoxide detectors in their airplane in their cockpit and they they say it's going off. I don't know why. Well, uh, you should know why because <laughs> that's where your heat's coming from, right? Yep. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a good one. The, the, where your heat's coming from in the in the engine compartment. Um, and obviously an alternator belt we should be able to see that alternator that alternator belt alternator itself um, yeah those are all good items you should know so not a mechanic but maybe a steward of the components and if i don't if i was intrigued about what does an alternator do then i obviously you can go watch a short video on youtube probably and figure out what an alternator does um or listen to behind the prop i'm sure we'll do more systems podcasts in the future but uh anything about the engine and what's under that cowing that that you think someone should be thinking about wally no, I just, um, you know, I, I look at it more from a, an operational standpoint. Um, if this symptom 
presents itself in flight or on the ground, um, you know, what are you, what are you dealing with? Um, I guess one question I would have to ask you, Ray, is, is when a pilot comes to you with a, with a discrepancy, what do you want from the pilot? Do you just want the pilot to tell you what the symptoms are? Or do you want their self-diagnosis or which may or may not be correct? Yeah, we. I would really like to know what the actual symptoms are. Right. And the more you could describe on the, on the symptom, the better. Um, you know, uh, the mag check, for instance, is a common one. Um, you know, did did you try to clear it out or not? Um, and it didn't clear. Um, the, did the engine turn off? Uh, was it just running rough? What? How many RPMs did it drop? A hundred, two hundred, or did it drop five hundred? Um, those kind of that kind of stuff is what we really would like to see. And how about video? Is that is that helpful to you? I mean, we all have a video camera in our back pocket. You know, that is uh, that's the biggest thing right now. And we we love videos. You got to you got to like you said, you got it in your pocket. Use it. You know, yeah. use all available resources you got um, the pictures, um, whatever you can to make it easier to 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 diagnose it or troubleshoot it or, you know, understand what, what's really happening. Cause we get a lot of intermittent stuff as Bobby knows, right. um, you know, but if we see a video on, on, on what's happening and we can't duplicate it on the ground, you know, we may be able to pinpoint something that the pilot hasn't been able to pinpoint and we might know where to go or we might say, Oh, we've seen this before this, this part took care of the problem, that kind of scenario. So, Obviously, we need to learn more about the engine and the components of the engine. I would assume you would relate that to all systems. I think if I put myself in my shoes and I know my 16-year-old son drives a car with a backup camera and it actually is that automatic stopping feature for a $12,000 car, it's pretty fancy, right? He'll never open the hood, though. I don't think he'll ever open the hood. What what is that young man going to see when he gets in a plane? He's never going to think to open the hood, right? We we have to know these systems differently, um, they get a, a low a low tire indicator on that car, and they call dad, like the mechanics, to fix that. They're never going to still probably fix those items in a car. These younger kids have a different. You know, I fixed my own car when I was growing up. You probably did the same for years. Today, we're we're flying these planes. What should they know about the other systems? What would you, if you if you had to pick three things that you really thought a pilot should seek to understand? not just fuel and electrical, like what parts of those do you think that they should really understand and go seek to read books and POHs and all that on to, to really know the systems? Your brakes is another one. That's an important one. You know, the, all these aircraft have, they operate the, the same type of brake, but they're kind of different. Um, you know, on, on your aircraft here, your Cessnas only have two master cylinders. Your Pipers, if you have, brakes on the right you're going to have four um five if you include the handbrake um and and that's that's the stuck kind of stuff you need to look out for because you know you probably won't see hydraulic fluid leaking on the co-pilot side of a cessna but you will on a on the co-pilot side of a piper because there's a master cylinder there um so those are the items you need to you you need to understand um, you know if you're going into a retract gear you know figure out what kind of retract system you got um, electrohydraulic uh, completely mechanical um, you know just understand what's really going on what's really moving that gear 
And the key thing on that one, I as, as I've I've we've had multiple retrack aircraft at this flight school, and I I think I kind of understood them all, and I know I'd been through the emergency procedures on all of them, but I don't think I really understood what happens when they don't really work. Right? If there if there is I won't call it an emergency, but some sort of failure in the system, what's really going to get that gear down? And most systems have something like that. But instead of just practicing it, you should really seek to understand the the effects and the troubleshooting thereof. Um, we, we You wouldn't want to compound the problem by not knowing how to, to resolve it, right? I guess is my point yeah. on any system. Um, anything to add to that in general? I know you're a systems guy, Wally. Probably know him better than most. Well, one thing I, you know, I, I think we're we're a victim of our own success, and you know, cars today work pretty well. Um, back in the day, um, you know, when we were getting our first car, Bobby, we probably changed our own spark plugs every few thousand miles, um, and so we knew what a spark plug looked like. I'll ask a lot of people uh, in a, a ground portion of a check ride. Um, have you ever seen a spark plug? And usually the answer is no. So I, I do have one in my bag that I say, well, here, here's what a spark plug looks like. They've never seen it. I guess I haven't thought about that. You know, my son won't ever, he'll never take a spark plug out of a lawnmower or, right. or anything. Like that's where I learned really right. how a magneto works, right? Yeah. I learned how, a, I really knew how a lawnmower, a single cylinder engine worked. Yeah. But yeah. that's taken away from most of us nowadays. I mean, my son, first of all, doesn't mow the lawn, but even now, I think most people have an electric lawnmower, believe it or not, right? right. So oh. some of that's, we're losing touch with some of that. I, yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. We might have an electric plane one day, but it's still a ways off, I think. Yeah. So we talked a little bit before we started recording about the spark plugs and, and the Magneto. We've done a good show, I think, on the ignition system and that whole check. But how 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 important is it to you, Ray, that someone know how to clean the plugs if they do have a rough running engine during that ignition slash magneto check? It, it's important because you could be stuck somewhere where there's no help, um, and you know we've done it in the past here through, like Wally said, the cameras and all that. We've actually been on Facetime and we've oh, helped yeah. people clear plugs. No doubt, right? Um, and to me, it's important because it'll save. It'll save a lot of time in the long run, right? Um, we don't have to go out there. We don't have to hunt for a mechanic. Um, if, if For you, if your planes broke down somewhere, you know, your whole schedule gets out of whack. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of important to learn those kind of um, tricks of the trade, as we call them. Um, so, st- I guess steps in order. Like, I would look at my POH. If my POH didn't have that, I mean, I'm probably going to turn to the Internet. Um, I, I always wonder, should I believe what I read on the internet? Right. But where would, would I assume as a mechanic and a friend of, to others, you would help someone walk through it on their particular aircraft or, or provide some guidance, I assume. Oh yeah. All the time. Um, we, we've gone, we've, we've helped people, um, on their aircraft that they're operating or they own show, show them stuff they didn't know that they'd never seen before. Um, only because we're in them so much and, and we've been around them for so long. Um, but, you know, I always tell everybody, call your mechanic. You know, uh, there's a lot of good sources out there. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, Mike Bush um, from oh, yeah. Savvy Aviation. We've referenced him. 
he's a he's an excellent source and he puts a lot of great information on all his uh webinars that he does um you know sign up to to their emails where you where you get the the email that says there's a new webinar coming out listen to it it's worth the time because he gives a lot of good information um and that and you know get to know your mechanic i tell all all my customers and all my all the people i know that are flying instructors i've told them you know plenty of times you know come down to the shop um you got questions we'll try to answer it um it gives you the opportunity to see a um you know the the airplane without the cowling on um it gives you an opportunity to see what the inside of the wing looks like um stuff that you won't see here in, a, in your hangar yeah i love um, the jump of the chance you have a plane on jacks i'm coming down to look at it just because it's a very different view for sure yeah. and you get to see stuff and i and i tell them that all the time um you know like i like we talked about earlier if you if you're doing an emergency extension on a piper it's it's real simple right you press the lever and it should free fall but if you're transitioning to a bonanza you're not going to like doing an emergency <laughs> extension in a real emergency so go go practice it while it's in for annual you know um i i wouldn't have a problem if the owner of the aircraft asked me can i do an emergency extension on my aircraft we'll make sure he could he could do it um Better so, to do it on the ground than when you got to do it the first time in the air, and and not know how what not know what to expect, right? Or um, be an IMC and a lot of other factors going yeah. on. That would not be the time to do it for the first time, for sure. Yeah. So a uh, few rapid fire slash questions we 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 hope will spark a nerve with a mechanic. Um, <laughs> if you if you could only pre-flight one thing before you went on a flight, I know you're a, you're a pilot yourself. And and we're this isn't don't don't get to this one thing and that's how you're going to start your pre-flights, everybody listening. But if there was one thing you were going to look at, and you can only look at one thing, I know it's a tough debate. We want to look at four or five, but what's the one thing you would check before you took off? I would say I would check the fuel level and the fuel quality. I think I think it was Wally who once said there's three things you really need to check on when you're going to do something in, in related to emergency, and that's check the fuel number one. Number two, make sure you have enough fuel. And then three, make sure the fuel is where it's going to help you get to where you're going to go. Uh, obviously, fuel is the big one. I guess I'll give you a little break. What would be the second thing? That's what I thought. I, I think when we were, before we started recording, I told Wally, obviously the oil, but I guess I need gas to start it. So I'd know if it was empty or, or not, but you sure would have to take off with a gallon. So yeah. I think fuel and oil. Um, but there are a lot of things. Like there should be there should be no shortcuts to the pre-flight, obviously. No. It um, it's our chance to find these things while it's on the ground. Um, this was an interesting one. What's, what's one upgrade – we're talking about these older aircrafts, 70s and 80s, uh, for the most part, Pipers and, and Cessnas. And that, that's probably this, the the plane that most people own if they own a plane. What's the one upgrade you think that owners aren't doing for some reason? They just maybe don't know of this. What would you do to a Cessna or a Piper? What's the one little upgrade you think we should all be doing? Well, aside from from uh avionics obviously that I, I think that should always get upgraded as as time changes right um but mainly uh now that we got the use of like wally mentioned a, a phone in our pocket right uh you know we got uh, companies out there that'll put out real good engine monitors 
Um, now you're flying around with a flight engineer pretty much like they did in the in the old days in the airlines, right? Um, those engine monitors um, offer a lot of information. Um, it's helped us in the past troubleshoot problems. Um, you could download data from it, take it home, and see what your engine was doing during your flight. Um, so to me, that's important because you could catch a lot of issues before they really happen. Um, and, and, and I think that's, you know, all this stuff's expensive, right? That's why we don't do it. A lot of people don't do it. But um, I think if you're going to do an upgrade to an old aircraft and you've got decent radios, um, you got a good engine, you know, spend the money on, a, on an engine monitor because um, it, it's a flight engineer at the, at the end of the day. Interesting. Not one I would have thought of right off the bat. Um, what do you think, I guess, what is your biggest pet peeve of, as a mechanic? And I'm assuming that's coming from pilots, not, not the one job you hate to do the most on an airplane, but what's your biggest pet peeve as a mechanic that pilots say or do or bring to you? Um, as far as the, the aircraft itself, um, you know, we get, we get some aircraft in there that, um, you know, they, they get treated like an old car <laughs> and that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Cause even though it's an old airplane with an old paint job and an old interior, you should still keep it clean. Um, you know, keep it washed, you know, wash the oil off the belly every once in a while. Um, you know, take care of it as if it was a brand new one. Um, only because like with everything else, you know, you can't, you can't really inspect the dirty aircraft, right? Yeah. If you got a, you know, half an inch of oil and soot from the engine exhaust on the belly, you know, we, you know, we can't see what's going on under all that, right? We could have rivet heads that are missing that we can't see, or, or you could catch at a pre-flight. Um, but while it's dirty, we can't see it, right? That's one of my one of the small pet peeves I have. Um, the other the other pet peeve I have is you know just the normal um, routine maintenance. Um, you know we got we got a lot of owners and operators that you know don't want to do it. Um, you know, for instance, you know oil changes. We got guys that don't like doing fifty hour oil changes. Um, you know. They want to just keep going till the next annual, whether they fly 100 hours or not. They want to just change the oil once a year. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think I've asked you this in the past because we've had this discussion. And we do all of our 50 hours at, at this flight school. And I think it's an important an important act that we do do it. But it's more that it's for the, the life of the aircraft and the life of the, the hopefully the, the person flying that plane. But if you owned your own aircraft and you were flying it, we'll call it 12 hours a month. How often would you change the oil in your aircraft? Every 35 hours or six months. There you go. So that comes from a, a pretty trusted resource right there. 35 hours or every six months. And I guess the last question before we wrap, uh, and then we'll, if you have anything else that we'll talk about it, but, the last question is, what's the biggest mistake, and that may be a harsh word, but what's the biggest thing you see pilots doing that they shouldn't be doing? So I, if you're watching people start planes on my ramp or you're watching people do run-ups, like, what's the one thing you just shake your head at over and over all day that you see people doing that are flying these planes? I would say just starting that engine up and not giving it a chance to warm up and revving it, taking the, the throttle and pushing it forward. 
Um, and that RPM just goes up high without the oil getting the chance to get hot. Oof. I see that all the time. Um, you know, just, you know, sometimes it happens, you know, because they've opened the throttle too much. or. But what I see is that even though they've done it, um, they're sitting behind the behind the, the engine and they're hearing it happen and they don't do anything about it. Just sits there and keeps on revving. Boy, um, man, I can I can sit here and hear a plane on my line at about fourteen hundred RPMs, and it's not changing. It's not changing. I'm like, what are they doing? You know. And I think what happens. I've probably been there. You start the plane and it's got it's at an RPM, and you figure that's idle. You haven't flown in a while. You're not hearing at all. But man, please go to idle. Let the oil get in the cylinders, get warmed up, and then then you can give it a little bit more throttle, right? Um, is there something about we, I know I am passionate about leaning something about leaning the aircraft on taxi or that you think pilots don't do enough of, or causes a lot of these magneto or spark plug problems. Yeah. The, the actual leaning, we see a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, pilots that don't actually lean the engine. Um, they just keep it full rich. Um, and, and mainly, you know, sometimes they just don't, they weren't taught that or they just don't understand why, but yeah, I always say lean it, um, for taxi. And we're in um, a field that's 150 feet above sea level. This that might be a little different for other airports or other cities. It does. Um, but if you're at sea level, I would I would think you should lean it uh, for sure. But um, you, you should lean it no matter where you're at to the right to the right level for your field that's elevation, correct. Yes. et cetera. Um, anything else to add, Ray? Uh, we really appreciate you coming on today. But anything else to add to to pilots to maybe help them be better as it relates to aviation in any any flavor yeah you know yeah talk to your mechanic um you know use use everything that's out there that that you that you could use to learn about your aircraft um like i said earlier you know i i normally tell all my customers they're welcome to stop by while it's opened up um they're welcome to come and see what we do they're welcome to call anytime and ask any questions they want um you know use whatever's out there from reputable sources like savvy aviation um just just kind of use all that information um and whatever you don't understand call your mechanic um and and talk it through with him um i'll be more than happy to help anybody that 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 needs it when they come in the shop um but just use what you got out there um especially your mechanic and what is your website if people want to learn more about you? It's just eeaviation.com, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. So if you want to learn more about Ray's shop and uh, his team of people, he's got a really good website with a lot of information about everybody out there. Check it out at www.eeaviation.com. And if you ever have future maintenance needs, I'm sure Ray would be happy to talk to you and take some of that on. As always, stay behind the prop. Fly safe, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe.